O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our strength and redeemer. Amen. When we began this series, I asked you a question. Would you rather? Would you rather be in the upper room talking to Jesus physically, hearing his voice audibly, being in his presence around the table in the upper room, or would you rather be in church, in the pews, some 2,000 years later, listening to Pastor David? Now, I won't be offended because we would all say just about the same thing. It's an obvious answer. We would rather be with Jesus. We would rather physically be in his presence to have him put his arm around us, to have him speak to us, to ask him questions. And surely the disciples are thinking the very same thing. And yet, in chapter 16, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. The disciples have to be thinking, Jesus is losing it. How can he say it's better off that he's not here? And in fact, they're asking those very questions. What does he mean? A little while you will not see me again. A little while you will see me. Their questions just circulating in their heads. How can he say it's better off that he would not be here? Surely we would all rather be in the upper room at the table. Jesus has been with them for about three years now. He has been with them walking, talking, sleeping, eating. He's been helping them. He's been delivering them. He's been guiding them. He's been praying with them and for them. He's been teaching them. He's been providing for their needs. Think of the time he found Andrew and Simon and then Philip and he said, follow me. Think of the time he provided bread in the wilderness in such abundance when they were starving. Think of him healing a blind beggar and giving him his sight back. Think of him saying to Peter, do you believe in me? And Peter saying back to him, you have the words of eternal life. He's their helper, he's their guide, he's their advocate, and he's their friend. And now he says to them, his friends, you'll be better off without me. He promises that as he leaves, he has other plans in mind, and he begins to unveil these plans to send them another. And notice how in chapter 14 it calls the Holy Spirit, another helper. Another meaning a second one, a one in his place. For all the ways that Jesus has been with them, there is another coming who will be with them in his place. That other person is called the paraclete in Greek. There's different translations of this Greek word paraclete some Bibles say counselor, some say advocate, some say comforter. In the Greek, 
it relates back to an understanding they had in the Greco-Roman world at the time. And one of that meanings of that word has to do with helper from a higher authority. So in the Roman world, there was in the Latin something called a patronus, a relationship like a father to a son between people in society. It was a patron-client relationship, not like family, but for social obligations. For instance, if a senator decided he would free his slave, that slave was never totally free. To free a slave then meant that there was going to be an ongoing obligation that the senator would remain his paraclete. The one who would watch out for him now that he was venturing into his new life, who would defend him and advocate for him if he should ever go to court, who would loan him money to get him started, who would support and vouch for him among the other people in society to say he is now a freed man. On the other hand, there's things that the lower client has to offer in return. The slave owes loyalty, support for his political campaigns, and service to the senator if they ever go to war. So there's this give and take relationship, but the higher power is going to be the one that can make a difference for this freed slave. Now the word paraclete literally means one who is called to your side. Para, like parallel, or we even use the word paralegal, has the idea of being alongside of someone, called to their aid. And so it can mean counsel. It can mean legal counsel and support. It can mean friendship counsel. It can mean help and comfort. It can mean advocacy. It can mean intercession. All of these thoughts are being wrapped up, but Jesus is even adding an additional sense to this because Jesus is saying it. And as Jesus is saying it, just moments after telling them, I am your friend. So this is a friendship. This is one who is called to your side, not just because they have an advantage to having a social relationship, but someone who is your friend. That's why Jesus says, it is better that I go, because I will send my counselor to you who will advise you, lead you, comfort you, guide you, and support you. But not like the master to his slave, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, I now call you friends. The spirit of truth is the one that the world cannot see chapter 14, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the spirit of truth is not seen by the world, is not known by the world, but the disciples already know the spirit of truth. How can this be? How can it be they already know the Spirit when he hasn't been sent yet? Well, notice how in verse 17, chapter 14, 17, Jesus says, first, he dwells with you. And then he says, and he will dwell in you. 
There's two distinctions being made there. The first one, he uses the preposition alongside of. Para, just like paraclete. He dwells alongside you already. You already know him. And the way that they know the Spirit already is because the Spirit dwells in Jesus. The way they know the Father is because they know Jesus. The way they know the Spirit is because they know Jesus. And this is the way that Jesus has been alongside them, physically, verbally present in their lives. And they already know the Spirit. But then there's coming a time when he will not just be physically present in Jesus, but he will be spiritually present in them. It is to your advantage that Jesus goes away. There are two reasons why it is to their advantage. There are two reasons why it's to your advantage. The first is because Jesus is now able to dwell in you in a way he couldn't before. And the second is that the Spirit is able to dwell through you to reach the world in a way that he couldn't before. Up to this point, Jesus is still making himself known, manifesting himself to his disciples. It says in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Up to this point, if you were to ask the disciples, do you know Jesus? They might say, yeah, I know him. But really, they don't. How well do they really know Jesus? Would the disciples be able to say, when we're with Jesus, we feel at home? Or even more importantly, would, they be able, would Jesus be able to say, when I'm with you, I feel at home. Would God be able to say to each one of us, you know me well enough that I feel at home with you? Once Jesus has risen and ascended, he's going to make their home with them so that they'll know Jesus in a way they never knew him before more deeply, more intimately than they ever knew as they were walking along, listening to him, and sitting with him in his presence. No longer is Jesus just physically at their side, but he's going to be within them through the sending of the Spirit. So Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now we might be wondering at this point, well, which is it? Is it Jesus or is it the Spirit? And the answer is yes. The answer is that Jesus is going to come to them, the Spirit is going to come to them, the Father is going to come to them, and they're going to make their home together with you in your heart. But only the Spirit can make this possible. Without the Spirit, there's a distance between us and God that can't be broached. We can be physically next to the physical Jesus, but we can't know the Father the way Jesus knows the Father. The disciples didn't really know God yet. 
So just as Jesus taught the disciples, the Spirit teaches the disciples, which is really the most effective way to teach them because it teaches us from within. Think about it. Which is more effective? Conditioning your children through rules and boundaries and threats so that outwardly you can force them to repeat back the things that you want to repeat back, to mimic what you ask them to mimic, to repeat what you say, to try to be with them always, telling them what to do every step, where to go, how to respond in every situation. That's exhausting. Or is it more effective as they grow up to watch a young man struggle, make a mistake, and then discover from within what the truth is? In marriage, we want our spouse to discover the truth and the love of who the other person is without us having to spell it out, to tell people exactly what to do. And as you grow in love, you begin to see those things and know those things from within. And that's a much deeper learning because it involves love. And so Jesus says, it is to your advantage because I no longer need to keep telling my disciples what to do every step of the way. Now they're going to learn it from within intrinsically from the spirit who dwells in them. And so it is to your advantage because Jesus, leaving his disciples through the cross in his death, is going to allow him to dwell in the disciples and in you. It secondly is an advantage because it also allows Jesus to reach out to the world in ways that he could never do before. Now, this takes us to chapter 16. It says there in verse 8, And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, Jesus, when he was in his physical, mortal body, was very limited when you think about it. He could only be in one place at one time. He could only go to one place at one time. So if Jesus was in Jerusalem healing a blind man, there was another man up in Galilee dying in unbelief. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But his death and resurrection... And the sending of his spirit has now opened the doors to Jesus to be in many places at many times, to go out into the world through the church. And the church is being spread everywhere. Each one of us carries the presence of Jesus with us. And so we are Jesus, living temples, reaching out to the world. And as we do that, as we live our lives as Christians and as Jesus lives through us, the world has a reaction. The Spirit convicts all of us. When we see Jesus, when we hear his teachings, when we see how good he is, how right he is, how loving he is, 
we discover how sinful we are. Because none of us measure up to what Jesus was. None of us are able to maintain the kindness, the compassion, the wisdom to deal with every situation, with all the stress on the line, and the world turning against him, and yet still he has a perfect love. And that's why the world hates him. Because the world is embarrassed. We are embarrassed when we're exposed by Jesus. His light, his glory, it exposes our sins. The world is not comfortable with this, and that's why the Spirit convicts the world. And how does he do it? Through your witness to the truth. He convicts the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, because they do not believe, which is to say that without Jesus and the Spirit, our lives are empty. They're meaningless. They're filled with nothing but a hopeless end, darkness, and fear. It leads us into all sorts of crazy, inhuman things. Obsessions about money, or lies, or power, or lust. But when they see Jesus, or they see Jesus shining through you, it reminds them this is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin is in the world. He convicts them concerning righteousness because Jesus is the only righteous one. Jesus reveals what is right and just. And when they crucify Jesus, they know that they have done something wrong. The world is convicted concerning righteousness. And yet, through Jesus comes the greatest righteousness we've ever seen. An innocent man lovingly laying down his life for us. None of the decisions that this world makes, from the highest courts to the most reputable judges, even down the ladder to our personal relationships, we can't set things right. We can't make this world right again. And the Spirit convicts the world of that. No matter how many programs, no matter how many laws, no matter how many peace treaties, one generation to the next tries to fix it. Only Jesus can. And the resurrection is the only way to see that that is possible. Death and resurrection, to know the Father, and all of us then are left with only one thing to do, repent. And he convicts the world concerning judgment. Because he says the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus exposes here the impotence of the devil. The devil, in every ruler, every power, every controlling act of any human being that we witness in this world, is brought to nothing. All the power that the devil wants to threaten you with, to rule over you, to control you, to make you afraid, Jesus strips the emperor, so you see, has no clothes on. When we speak as Christians, when we live our lives, we are calling out the devil. And don't expect that to be a great, victorious, pleasant thing. Jesus was crucified for it. 
When you call out the devil, when you convict the world concerning judgment and tell them the ruler of this world is powerless. The world is scared, lost, because they were relying on the ruler of this world for everything they were accomplishing. The world thinks it can control Christians. It can silence them. It can gain a greater reputation, a greater power closer to God by controlling their judgments. But Jesus says in John 3, this is the judgment that men love darkness and they would not come to the light lest their works would be exposed. So the world hides in darkness, but when the Spirit works through you to bring the truth of Jesus into the world, it is also inviting them as much as it's convicting them to know Jesus, to know the Father. And that's why Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son and he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The conviction is meant to lead to salvation. And it is to your advantage, then, that Jesus goes. It is to your advantage in the sense that you are better off. But it is not to your advantage in the sense that things are going to be easier. The last thing Jesus says before he prays in the upper room is that this will not be easy. Once the Spirit comes, the disciples are going to have to face things they've never faced before. When the Spirit takes over, when he fills you, you're going to have to face challenges that you've never had to face before. And that's why Jesus says, I couldn't tell you all this at the beginning. You couldn't bear it. But now I have to tell you because I'm going away. And when the Spirit comes, be ready. It's not going to be easy. For Jesus, it meant entering into the judgment of the cross, which was like labor pains. Labor pains of God. Sorrow and grief to lose the only begotten Son. But after a little while, Jesus says, when a woman gives birth, once her time has come, she no longer remembers the sorrow because a human being has been born into the world. So this is talking about the judgment of the cross leading to the resurrection, where in the resurrection of Jesus, we see a joy that the world can't take away. But we also see it in our own suffering. Our own experience of the cross is this feeling like all of a sudden Jesus is gone. Where did he go? Why is he leaving me alone? I don't hear his voice. I'm not excited and joyful like those other Christians seem to be. Why is my life painful and difficult? And yet, Jesus says, a little while and I will show myself to you. It is to your advantage to go through this because that is how the Spirit will make himself known. And the Spirit will come to you in the sorrow and suffering to reveal that Jesus has risen, that he lives, and you can see him. And there's a new love in your heart that endures forever. And joy is born. And you can go directly to the Father 
no matter the circumstances, and pray to him, and he hears you. And that makes our joy full. In this world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen.